Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome back to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called The Big Move, and it is covering shows that were so successful off-Broadway that they just had to transfer to the Great White Way and try some luck over there. I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts, and with me today is a returning guest. You last heard him on the Caroline Und Change episode, and he is a playwright. He is a reporter, journalist. You can see his articles all over different magazines and websites. Uh, you just, when we last recorded, you were working on an opera. Is that correct? Yes, uh, it was uh, Fidelio. It was with Heartbeat Opera, and we did it at the Met. Yes, you sure did. Please welcome back Mr. Marcus Scott. Miss Scott, if you're nasty. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome, Marcus. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's, you know, it's Sunday. We're, we're thriving. <laughs> you look very cozy with your sweatshirt and with your hood up. I'm like, that is the way to be. That's also because my hair needs to be cut. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it is not. It is. I mean, it's, it's a nice, like, my hair is free. I just, I just Afro picked it out. So it's, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing i just got my haircut recently humble brag and uh so i'm it is not hiding under any hoodies or hats or onesies today uh marcus what show are we discussing today we are discussing one of my favorite shows passing strange by stew mm-hmm. and heidi rodewald yes stew and heidi they are a brilliant group of people 
Yes, yes, yes. Uh, what is your history with Passing Strange? Um, so I uh, was attending NYU. I went to the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. I, I do not have uh, technical training as a playwright. I became a playwright in necessity. That we'll have a conversation about that later. Um, but I was there and um, I was introduced to the musical by a good friend of mine, Max Vernon, who wrote uh, The View Upstairs and uh, other shows. And uh, Was Coleman Domingo in The View Upstairs? Am I making that up? No, you're making that up. But Coleman okay. Domingo did Dot. Which um, there it is, there it is, there it is. Uh, which is around the same time, yeah, as we upstairs. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, because um, the uh, what, what I love about that show and why and why how I got into that show is Max introduced me after being in grad school, being around a bunch of people who basically told me that musical theater had a particular sound, had a particular um, way of being seen. And Max was like, well, Marcus, I really feel like you would really enjoy this show. And so I said, oh, okay, let me go see it. And so they had just like released the film. And because mm. I, I wanted to see it live, <laughs> I heard about it, but I never got to see it. And so I saw the film and I wound up, that kind of, that was like the, the show that kind of really cracked me open as a musical theater writer. I saw that right before I wrote my, my thesis show, Cherry Bomb. And uh, it's, it's kind of become this kind of like homing missile, if you will, for my creative instincts. It, uh, it has everything you want in the show. It's smart. It's creative. It's poetic. There is a an effervescence to it. It's just it's it's the perfect show. <laughs> it's also very funny, guys, uh, for anyone who's like, oh, this might be too heady for me. And don't you worry. It is. It, it's dense and you can make you feel like a dumb dumb. It is also very, very funny. I. My my introduction to the show, Marquez, is uh when I was a junior, junior in high school. No, senior. No, junior. Junior in high school. Mm-hmm. I was a part of this amateur teen, like critics class seminar curriculum, whatever. There was there used to be this uh company and program that did like discounted tickets for students before today takes was a thing before tdf was a thing it was you know you had to be a member you had to you know pay like a ten dollar fee or whatever and then they would have certain uh you know discounted tickets available and they weren't always like fancy stuff it was off broadway on broadway whatever but they started doing this like teen critic curriculum and they would we would get together like every two to three weeks and we would often you know get sent out to see shows and then we would come back and we'd have to write stuff and share it with everybody. And our teacher was Aisa Davis who plays mother in Passing Strange. And she was rehearsing Passing Strange for the public at the time. And we often had our meetings at the public. And I remember we got to sit in on one of their rehearsals. They It was uh, for mom's song when they were doing that. This is your life. I remember, I remember it very clearly. It was in like one of their main rehearsal rooms, the one that like looks like a giant um like loft hallway yeah. with all the columns, you know. And I thought it was so cool. I had no idea what I was watching. First of all, it, without the context of everything around uh around it, it definitely was a number we were all like, this is really cool. What's happening plot wise? And she was like, well, it's too hard to explain. And then we were invited to go see it at the public and I opted out of it because Spring Awakening was doing their first open call for teenagers. 
And 17-year-old me was like, this is my chance to become a star. In my defense, I did get called back twice from that open call. However, I did miss Passing Strange at the Public. So when it transferred to Broadway, I was no longer part of the teen critics group. So I paid my own damn ticket to see it on Broadway. I contributed to their grosses. So I made up for my faux pas in 2007 and March of 2008. And I super fell in love with it it was what i was really gunning for for the tonys that year uh i was devastated when they didn't even get nominated for director i remember seeing the lack of directing nomination i was like excuse me (laughs) how is it that annie did not get nominated that staging and that direction is flawless uh and then i remember it closed while i was at summer camp and the news came out that that spike lee was going to film it and i was very excited and i could share it with others after that so that is my history with passing change and then i probably come back to it every like two years i would say and i i give it a nice re-listen same it's yeah. one of the shows where i i, I watch it to study it and just because to me it's one of those shows where i remember the last time before uh watching it recently uh, i cried because i was like oh my god i'll never be able to write like this <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it's it's such a um just it's a pivotal show and um and the influence it's had on musical theater since is extraordinary. Yeah. It's an interesting time that it comes out and what it does and how it and the impact it's had. And we'll get into all this as we sort of, you know, discuss the whole thing. As you know, Marcus, structure has gone out the window with this show. That's actually one of the major influences that Passing Strangers had on this podcast. I said, <laughs> fuck structure. Act one, act two, act three, out the window. Uh, we discuss. I try. I do have like a list now. I give myself a checklist of things that I want to cover as you mm-hmm. go through the episodes. Um, but uh, yeah, we will discuss all of this good, good shit. Oh, uh, before I forget, guys, we actually have a couple of reviews. I want to get them out of the way since uh, we famously now launched our Broadway Podcast Network. We have had two episodes come out since recording this. And I just want to quickly say before I read these reviews, because three of them deal with the same technical issue, because I am essentially a one man band with this podcast and I am not a technical person and I have to always lean into however I can record with different guests. My recording equipment changes sometimes episode to episode. So for the first episode of this series, which was Rent, uh, with our recurring guest, Adam Ellsbury, Gunkle of the Pod. We were using microphones that we hadn't used in like over a year and they were not set properly and Adam was too far away from his mic. So it was a, it was a quiet volume episode. It was not impossible to hear, but I did have a couple of people reach out and be like, I can't listen to this on the subway. I'm like, yeah, you'll have to listen to it at home, like quietly at home. Like you can't be cooking while you listen to it or, on, or you know, loading the dishwasher. But so we've gotten some new reviews and I'm saying this now because a couple of them mentioned the sound. So just clench your teeth, y'all. And we'll get through them. But they are nice reviews. So cue the light in the Piazza Overture music. Five stars. Absolutely incredible. So good. So interesting. I love the current series on Sondheim. That is not current anymore. Uh, Matt is beyond knowledgeable and even more opinionated, which makes for a great show every week. The episodes are always very low volume. Can you bump that up a little? They're not all low volume, just like four of them are. I'm just telling everyone. Next one. Great podcast, five stars. I very much enjoy this show. It's absolutely wonderful on long car rides because my episodes are nine hours long, which is uh, which I take a lot to visit my parents. That's nice. However, since the switch to BPN, the sound is very low. <laughs> when I turn it up all the way in my car, I can barely hear it against the sounds of the road. Other that, 
uh, than that new issue. Keep up the good work. You've got a loyal listener in me. Five stars. This one is right to the point. Headline is, what is up with the sound? <laughs> I'm I'm going to rave about this show because the theater nerd in me loves it. The hosts are like your best friends, sharing insight and critical, thoughtful presentations that flesh out and envelop the shows they speak about. So here is the but. Guys, now that you have ads, the problem with the sound is even more glaring. I'll listen to podcasts while doing other things. Never had a problem hearing all of them, but each episode of the show feels like the hosts have turned down their mics. Uh, the only way to listen to just make sure there is no outside sound that prevents hearing the show. Uh, ads are at regular volume. One moment I can barely hear, and then suddenly a full volume out of my ears. I absolutely understand that. I can't control the volume of the ads. I can only try to make the episodes themselves louder. I'm going to do my best, y'all. I hope they fix this issue, because I'd love to listen as I'm doing chores around the house. But even a running faucet to dishes makes it impossible. But once again, I do love the show. Thank you, I know. Stop running your faucet while you're listening to me. Cut out everything and just listen to me. That is what you... That is what God is telling all of you. Shut off the lights tune out the world and just listen to my sultry sultry voice next one five stars safe space for conflicting feelings i just discovered this podcast and i knew i was in the right place about an hour into the rent episode rent has and probably always will be because nostalgia my favorite musical but revisiting at the age of 25 has been a complicated experience because now i see and understand the issues many people have with it i will probably defend it until the day i die so it is sometimes hard to hear the valid criticisms but matt and adam did it in such a positive thought-provoking funny way i can't wait to listen to more episodes but for now the thought of collins hopefully redeeming himself by being a safe sex advocate will live in my head rent free until the end of time and really did not mean to do that as a pun thank you and finally the last one five stars informative and entertaining now i've just listened of this uh, sorry i've just learned of this podcast and i've already listened to six episodes that is like a two-week process listening to six episodes of this podcast <laughs> I really appreciate getting both well-supported points of view and saucy personal insights. I'm now subscribed because I need more and more. Thank you. So, Marcus, no pressure, but the pressure is on for information, saucy opinions, and entertainment. Be funny. Now, go. Okay. Uh, 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 I can't Tell a joke, Marcus. Now. <laughs> I, I'm a writer. It, it comes to me when I'm writing, not when I'm speaking. <laughs> well, so you mentioned earlier when you come back to the show all the time, like you kind of just go, I can't touch this like this is like the writing is just so good i there are some works that inspire me to write and then some works where i'm like it's so good i'm paralyzed and i can't write the last time that happened to me was when i first saw uh strange loop at playwrights horizons afterwards i was like so i'm not touching a computer for like three weeks because i just my this is gonna live in my head and then before that was the second season of fleabag anytime i watch the second season of fleabag i can't write for like days so here's the thing. I have yet to watch Fleabag. I know. I know. It's like a cardinal sin. I feel like <laughs> it's like the one show that everyone's like, you need to watch Fleabag. But uh, in terms of Strange Loop, um, mm-hmm. I have interviewed Michael a couple of times. Um, and also that it's really interesting that you mentioned a Strange Loop because a Strange Loop is very much a show or a product that has been influenced deeply by passing strange um and that's just like structure wise but just like the themes in it as well oh yeah absolutely um first of all you don't need to do a goddamn thing marcus you can watch whatever it is you want to watch you don't worry your pretty little head with what society tells you to watch i do think you would like fleabag and i think the second se- the first season is incredible the second season is just a masterpiece in my humble opinion and perfect and i every time i watch it i'm like no i can't do that uh but you're right uh, a show like a strange loop 
I mean, I haven't interviewed Michael like you have, so I can't uh, officially say myself, but it, there are so many parallels and there's, there is so much influence that Passing Strange has had. It's like a trickle effect throughout writing in musical theater. And it's very fun to see. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with The Strange of Passing, what is it about? Um, it is about a character named Youth. That's all the character's name uh, is in the show, who uh, lives in Los Angeles and in the suburbs. He in the 70s. In the 70s, 1976, with his mother, his single mother, and they uh, attend churches and th- their life isn't, is, let me take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was trying to like elevator pitch it. I was like, that's not how you do it. Picture pa- it. Sicily, <laughs> 1922. <laughs> Passing Strange takes place in 1976. It follows the youth and um, his uh, journey through the first 20 25 years of his of his life as he goes from Los Angeles to uh, Amsterdam and Berlin and his conquest or search rather to be an artist. That's what it, Passing Strange is about. And I tried to do that within <laughs> a sentence. Yeah. I mean, that is very much at its core, like the gist of the show. Yeah. Youth is um, an African-American youth in Los Angeles in the seventies. And yeah, he wants to be an artist. He wants to find what he calls the real and is just always in search of it. And there is another character we must discuss, which is the narrator who is essentially Stu. Uh, And he narrates everything, but also you find, you come to realize that it is his life story, not Stu himself necessarily. He has said that the show is not necessarily autobiographical there's a lot of it that is from his own life but it's not like self-referential it's very much it's 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 again a strange loop yeah. <laughs> like in that wheelhouse um it's yeah it's his story uh more or less uh bits and pieces taken from his life and you come to find out that it, he's it's a memory show yeah a show uh from the future yes in the form of a rock concert theatricals theatrically staged performance piece yeah and story yeah it's 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 a coming of age story and then also um there's so many themes about this show that i love that i think they do so well um the connections of you know parent and child and embracing you know your culture and your legacy and what you're capable of but also where you come from and not and there's a difference between reinventing yourself and lying about who you are, which is something that youth keeps on uh, gaslighting people about in Act 2. He's like, I'm not lying. It's like, this is how I feel. It's like, no, dude, you're not from the projects. You come from an upper middle class home in the suburbs. <laughs> um, it's it's really fantastic. Something that's actually interesting about Passing Strange, now that I'm thinking about this, because I talked about this with Adam in Rent. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, Marcus, you have familiarity with Rent. Uh, of course, it was like a gateway musical for like everybody in like growing up in yeah. like, the 2000s. <laughs> exactly. You, we, whether we all are willing to admit it or not, we all had rent as a moment for us. And at, like that, rev- like my iTunes review said, you know, there is a nostalgic connection we all still have with it. And there's a lot about rent that is still fantastic objectively, but there's a lot of other stuff that you look at with older, wiser eyes and you go, mm. and one of the things that I think Passing Strange does so well that I think rent missed the boat on is the bravery of 
youth wanting to be an artist and being bad at it. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's smart. He's passionate. He's insightful. He's just bad at making art. And once he gets to Europe and he continues doing it, like he's still like, he gets older. He doesn't get much better. He gets better at impersonating other people's art, but he's not actually good. He, he basically goes from like being a teenage Mark Cohen to being a faux European Maureen is how I best would describe youth's like artistic journey. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, uh, his, I, I would argue that he does become good, but it's really not into the last song. <laughs> like, oh, know. yeah. I you never know. really thought of that last song as like his work. I always, I, part of, I guess that's sort of the blurring of the lines of everything. I always just looked at that as like an actual uh, musical moment in like his life, not him creating something. But I guess you're right. That's sort of where the lines get blurred in Passing Strange. But that's also like, that's that's literally like where the concept of, that's where the, the show becomes cyclical because it's him writing Passing Strange. Yes, and he be, he becomes a good artist because the narrator has put up this very good show for us. Yeah. But youth in the moment of the show is not very good at the art. Ladies and jerks, we are the stereotypes. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I'm at war with Negro Morris. I'm at war with ghetto norms. My mother stands in doorways begging me to conform. Be a good football player, snazzy, dress and brother. So the sisters will be able to tell me from the others. Yeah, it is good at code switching, which, you know, the show does a lot of. of yeah. Well, so that's one of the uh, themes of the title, right? Is, you know, the title has a lot of meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's first taken from a line from Othello. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's the actual line? I have it written down. I thought, I thought of something oh, over the lines of like, um, she yeah. swore in faith was strange, was passing strange, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And passing strange in the context of Shakespeare means extremely strange, mm-hmm. which Stu has said, you know, yeah, you can absolutely take that at face value. You know, this extremely strange uh, feeling of just sort of being alive. And then adolescence being a passing phase, mm-hmm. uh, passing uh, in a white culture as a as a black man. And then what is it that Rebecca Nomi Jones says to him in Berlin? She, she says, says passing for ghetto, but but in the um but in the Arlington Hill song, it's uh black people passing for black people. Yes. Which is yes. The, the pastor's son says that. Yes. And that's and well the pastor's son says that after the Adrena Williams moment when youth mm-hmm. is at church for the first time in years and Adrena says to him that he's has to be blacker if she's if he's gonna get with her. Yeah. Black it up a bit, yeah. And there's there are certain every what I also love is that it's a small ensemble of actors, right? And everyone but Daniel Breaker and Aisa Davis uh play multiple roles. So we have um Rebecca Nomi Jones, uh how do you pronounce her name? Uh Deidre Aziza? Yeah, Deidre Aziza. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Coleman Domingo and then Who's the fourth actor? Um, oh my gosh. I just, oh. his name is Rod, uh, Rodney, Roderick. Chad, Chad Goodridge. That's, that's his name. Yep. That's his name. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. his name. <laughs> Roderick. I want to say Bethany. I was like, Roderick. I was like, that's not his name. <laughs> uh, first of all, has, has abs you could wash your clothes on. My but- God. I mean, like, where did he go? He just kind of disappeared. He's really the only one from that company that hasn't Everyone. really continued. Yeah, that's the, I mean, so this cast, you know, Daniel Breaker goes straight from this into, unfortunately, Shrek, but 
you know, has continued to have a really strong career. Rebecca Nomi Jones, we've seen in a million things. That's been wonderful. Uh, yeah. Deidre, you know, she's she's around. She's done she's stuff. But she's she's gone to TV. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like. And then Rebecca- Coleman just keeps on dominating. Like Coleman has done, I mean, Broadway, uh, he just won an Emmy for his, for guest star or, or, or supporting mm-hmm. star for Euphoria. Um, Rebecca Naomi Jones has become basically like the first lady of rock musicals. She's done everything like mm-hmm. Wicked, oh, not Wicked. Uh, she did Hedwig. She's done. Um, she did American Idiot. American Idiot, which I saw right after. She left. <laughs> same, 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 same. When I saw American, the, my my two big takeaways when I saw American Idiot, because all the Spring Awakening kids, all the guilty ones, went and see it, and they're like Jonathan Gallagher, John Gallagher Jr. And I went in, gay me, and yeah. I saw Stark Sands from, and I was like, it's die, mommy, die. And then I saw Rebecca Naomi Jones. I'm like, it's Passing Strange, and everyone was like, you are a homosexual. And I'm like, I know. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, I just I remember watching that particular show and walking out and being like. Well, the show was something, but she was great. <laughs> she was an American idiot. Yeah, I liked American idiot. Uh, I, mean, idiot. I liked Passing Strange more. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> my two takeaways from American Idiot were: I did not know Stark Sands could sing, and I went, "Well, he can just do anything he wants to me now." I mean, and because uh, not only is he a great actor and very dreamy, now he also sings like a damn angel. And then uh, it was my first time seeing a Stephen Hoggett choreographed show, and I thought his choreography was really exceptional. And Rebecca was amazing, but I knew she was amazing because I had seen Passing Strange. And then uh, she replaced for the Broadway company of Significant Other, which is another show we'll be talking about at some point on this podcast. Don't you worry, Marcus. I would love to hear it. <laughs> Your thoughts about it. Um, I think you can imagine what my thoughts are are mm-hmm. on it. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I never felt more personally attacked or have my privacy more violated than when someone hacked my social media and made a play out of what they found. And just threw it on stage. And they said, we're going to do one thing. We're going to change the name of the main character from Matt to Jordan and call it a day. Joshua Harmon. But we're not talking about him. We are talking about <laughs> Rebecca Nomi Jones and then Passing Strange. But yeah. so I got we were we got a track, which is yeah, the track. But yeah, no, we're talking about. Um, yeah, just everybody from that particular show has become like stars. Everybody. Uh, yeah. Yadra Aziza has become a TV star. Ayesha Davis has um, she was nominated for Pulitzer like like a year after Passing Strange. Yeah. I, I used as uh, an actress and a playwright in addition to yeah. being a wonderful critics teacher. I must say she was she I remember her being very nice to me. But yeah, she's she's written plays and Pulitzer nominated. She's also done a lot of TV for a hot second. She was Angelica Houston's lawyer on Smash. I'm sure you remember. Yes. Uh, of course, of course. Who hasn't watched Smash or hate watched Smash? If you, depending yes. on which camp you are in. Yes, we we love we love Smash when Megan Hilty gets a number, and we hate it when yeah. everyone talks. <laughs> yeah, no, the dialogue was. I, I just I think it's hilarious that they really tried to you know like, convince us that like it was actually competition between Ivy and like. That's or- yeah. Well, so that's the problem when you create, when you like make a whole first season before it starts to air and you don't check out social media or anything like that. So you build this whole first season. It's like building Karen to, you know, be the star that they're hinting. She's going to be meanwhile, it's airing and everyone's going clearly Megan Hilty. And <laughs> so they had to do course correction for season two. Be like, no, yeah, you guys were right. We shot the bet on that one. Um, you know who wouldn't have made that mistake is Stu. If Stu were in charge of creating Smash, he'd be like, clearly Megan Healthy. And we'd be like, yes, thank you, Stu.
LAPD. Do you know what Stu's first musical he ever saw was? What? Which one? How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Really? According to his interview on Theater Talk uh, with shithead Michael Riedel, he talked about... He's like, you know, I knew of musical theater. You know, I think he had seen probably a couple like movie musicals. Because yeah. living in, first of all, L.A., theatrical wasteland, especially when he was growing up. Yeah. Uh, and he said his first musical, I believe Heidi uh, Heidi Rodewald took him to see. Because she joined his band around 2000, I want to say. 2000, 2001. Because they were sort of um, indie rock underground cult figures. Yeah. They were not... They were successful in the sense that they had a core audience and they, you know, were always working. And he was, I think, Grammy nominated at that point, too. But they were not, you know, huge rock stars. By any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) What? I said by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, not that whatsoever. But (laughs) he says that she took him to his first musical, which was How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And Michael Riedel's like, well, what was that like? (laughs) <laughs> thinking you know Stu's gonna be like oh, i said fuck this but Stu was like no it was great he's like it was a wonderful musical he's like it was what he said was he didn't he had never seen songs done that way where it wasn't just about expressing one feeling or setting a, an atmosphere it was about legitimately telling a story through a song or a variety of emotions in one song and having that song then connect to another song later he's like i thought that was really cool i'm like yes Stu, that's musical theater I love it. <laughs> but then she, but then he got exposed to more because the interview was all about, you know, they had opened on Broadway and it was, you know, it's like the anti-musical. They talked about it. Like the way they kept trying to advertise it was it was the musical for people who didn't like musicals. And it, uh, rereading the New York Times review, Charles Isherwood, who I also don't like very much, but he was on the money in this one. He's like, don't call it a musical. You'll scare off the people that are going to like it. I'm like, it is a musical, though. It's, it's musical. just absolutely like the the. It's a variety of genre. It's not solely rock. They use a whole lot of different musical influences. And it is it is a straightforward story. Uh, mm-hmm. well, it, it's just done in a sort of abstracty way. So, uh, sorry, I, I'm, I'm grabbing the steering wheel for like five more seconds. Then I'm going to hand it back over to you. Go for it. Thank you, Marcus. I thank you for allowing me to take the wheel on my podcast where <laughs> I where I where I invited you. And then I said, yeah. you stop talking now. Um so this came out in between seasons of Spring Awakening and Next to Normal. And I feel like that trifecta of rock music has been very influential on the Broadway scene, all three with in various degrees of success in different ways. I would argue, and I'll talk about this more in depth when I talk about Next to Normal and Spring Awakening in their episodes, but Spring, Spring Awakening is, in my opinion, a rather straightforward story that uses songs in a non-musical theater sense. The songs don't, the songs will sometimes talk about an emotional state, but they're more kind of like commentary songs in the way that like the songs in cabaret can be commentary songs. They're not, they're not diegetic. They don't sort of flow freely from the dialogue. Whereas I would argue Passing Strange does do that with its score, but the show is told not in as straightforward a way. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, when you tell what it's about as you did like it's you think oh yeah sounds like a pretty simple story i can follow it's like no no no, they do not present it that straightforward uh but the way that the music is used in is is in a very traditional musical theatery way and then we have next to normal after this which is a story told very straightforward with a rock score that is done in a very musical theater sense of like flowing from dialogue and telling about an emotion and there's a beginning middle and end and i think there's probably a reason why spring awakening 
and next to normal outside of you know the other obvious systematic problems Mm -hmm. with the broadway scene Mm -hmm. but the idea of sort of what can be more swallowable in terms of how to tell a story despite audiences always saying we want new things when you actually give them something that's slightly off from what they know they're always like can you take two steps back and that is sort of where i never thought i would say like that next normal is palatable but i i this is where we're at now where I'm looking at it going like what a palatable show about a woman <laughs> who's losing her mind over her dead baby from 18 years ago. Uh, but like, do you know what I mean? Just like in terms, in terms of like objective storytelling of the three passing strange is the one that's a little more like, you know, you have to do a little bit of work if you want to like ride this wave. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not so dense that it's uh, impenetrable, but it is like, we expect you to at least like sit on the edge of your seat and listen and like use the remaining brain cells you have. Yeah. Um, which I really admire. Uh, yeah, that's all I want to say. I want you to now take the wheel. Tell me something. I think that what well, I wanted to hit on a couple of things that you mentioned, which like the show fuses like musically, it fuses gospel, it fuses uh, jazz, it fuses punk, rock, uh, it fuses blues, and it Euro pop. Uh, some Europop, yes, as well. Don't um, you dare deny the Merci Beaucoup track where they where he yeah. flies to Amsterdam. That is my favorite jam in the whole show. <laughs> True, and it also does like alternative. I would say like like downtown cabaret music as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so uh, I feel that like what it did, and um, I feel like it's it is very influential on especially contemporary musical theater uh, for a reason. Um, and I'll tell you that in, in a moment. But I I think that like looking at the time period, like that kind of like that spring awakening, passing strange, next to normal. Um, what it did was that it um, system, if we're going to talk systemically, other than like just it being like talking about race and black people being on stage mm-hmm. and playing Europeans and so forth and so on. Um, it's a show that I would argue uh, the black, even though like the musical theater, a lot of it benefits from black expression and black sounds mm-hmm. uh, taking rock and roll like that blues rock like that. It, it was ahead of its time taking you know putting that kind of that, that that sound on stage and it not having that kind of alternative rock kind of like Jonathan Larson sound that everyone had had been you know so familiar with for a, uh, 12 years at that point it was a very you know sorry <laughs> Marcus saying that Jonathan Larson sound got me real good because you just know exactly what he's talking about <laughs> But you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's, that's right. I, I absolutely know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so, like, what what this was, it, it, it took you back to like um, Lead Belly, and it took you back to Muddy Water sounds that, like, while they were influential on like the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and all the music that, like, would later influence like a Jonathan Larson, that those sounds had not really crossed over really into the pop stratosphere and so or into the zeitgeist if you will and so what this was doing was kind of like taking back rock and roll i would argue and saying like this is what we are and it also because of like what people were used to on broadway you know of course off broadway with like how black sound sounded like on stage uh usually it's you know it's doo-wop it's you know little shop of horrors or it's motown it's you know or it's dream girls you know you weren't yeah. really influenced by that you weren't really hearing that and so what why the show was um and i would argue 
very much like uh, Strange Loop, that show uh, musically, what it's doing and what both shows have done is challenge how black sound sounds like mm. uh, on stage. And some of these, uh, with a strange loop, one would argue that it's, uh, it, you know, it's a black man or you know writing music that sounds like Lilith Fair. You know, yeah. this right here was uh, he, you know, you know, this right here was taking a sound that was kind of like. Uh, Chitlin circuit music and putting it on stage, and, you know, and and doing it in a way that uh, honored rock legends, past and present. And so, uh, yeah, I think that passing strange, it, it it's it's it, one day it'll get the kind of like love that it needs, but right now it's still in that kind of that, that liminal space musically. It's, yeah, it's a little, it's in the niche space right now. What's actually given it a lot more exposure of course is the spike lee documentation of the last three performances which i'm grateful for and it is in my opinion uh the probably the best filmed stage performance ever Um, yeah Yeah. i I was gonna say i was gonna say it, it battles out with into the woods but the thing about the into the woods recording is like that is not very inventively cinematically filmed it's just exactly. it's a documentation of a perfect cast into yeah. the woods um so that's what that is but um but like they don't do they don't make it like this really exciting movie they're just like we're going to make this not seem like a lincoln center archival recording and yeah. give you like four camera angles whereas spike lee really like gets in there and makes you feel because that's the thing about a lot of filmed theatrical works is it's really difficult sometimes to capture the energy that you can get in a theater. And that show in particular, there was, it sounds weird to say heat because like that, the score runs hot and cold because of sort of the emotions that run throughout it. Right. Like once he gets to Berlin, it like, it goes straight from, you know, beautifully warm waters to ice cold that just like shocks your skin. But there is sort of like an aromatic sense about the music it's just like it fills the air and you just it envelops you completely and you really can't capture that in a movie especially if it's you know of a stage show you're not making it its own cinematic thing but i think spike lee does or or if if not does to some people gets as close as anyone could to any doubters out there Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But yeah, no, it's still a niche show for sure. Part of it is, you know, I can only I can only comment objectively as a musical theater fan. I can't really comment on the systematic racial elements because that is not something that I am 
Oh, we can get into it. <laughs> no, I, no, you can get into it. I want to hear you talk about it. I'm saying I'm not going to talk about it because what the fuck do I know? I can only yeah. t- talk about what I've read, what I've heard. Um, and no, okay. then well, I become a parrot and I'm a beautiful parrot, Marcus, but I don't want, I, that's not what this podcast is. I want to hear your talk, take on this, but I will say from a, if we're going to, I'm going to go from like the basic musical theater standpoint of things that do hurt shows sometimes, not just Passing Strange, but shows like Passing Strange, mm-hmm. which is that like, and this is a surface shallow level stuff. And then we'll get into surface surface level shallow stuff. I'm sorry. I had a stroke. But uh, <laughs> but th- there's no real number in Passing Strange that one could do like an audition cut for, could nope. do in a cabaret setting, which I love about that score. Like I, I, my, some of my favorite scores are the ones where I'm like, you can't do any cut from it because it's so, it, it's part of such a whole, like, yeah. It's, it's what I love about the great comet score. Like people try to sing no one else in cabaret spaces. I'm like, yeah, you did a great job. It only works in the show. Or people try to do songs from like Lacuse's wild party. I'm like, no, I'll listen to anyone sing when it ends or uptown. But like, love that score. Love the song. You can't do it outside the show. Exactly. Like it just, <laughs> it, do- it doesn't work as well. And I mean, not even as well. Like you just do it. And you're like, yeah, I watched you be talented, but that song does not fit outside of the the tapestry that it's woven into and that is something i just adore about passing strange i wasn't joking by the way when i said that uh, merci boku is uh my favorite track because it's not much of a song but it's just such a vibe it's it's just there's something up and it's like the only song in the score that's like it yeah. And it's not that it's the deepest song in the score. It's not that it's the most intelligent. <laughs> it's just the fact that, like, every time it comes on, I immediately get into, like, Brigitte, uh, Brigitte Bardot, like, 60s go-go. Like, I just start to feel very cute and very sexy. And, you, like, you just walk down the street going, la, 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 la. Again, Simpleton Me also loves songs like We Just Had Sex for the, like, pure comedy but it's also fucking brilliant lyrics yeah no um i i, I love that particular i love also just the way it's staged mm-hmm. you know it's it's, a, it's brilliant but my probably my favorite song is probably uh just because i've been there i i was the youth <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh so much of my story and so many people i know their story is the, the, you know the, the story of the youth um but it's uh Baptist show, uh, Baptist fashion. Show. Uh, yeah, probably one of my favorite songs. Do that. the Baptist fashion show. That's that's also a vibe. That music. That's uh, a whole vibe. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's also like its own mini play. That whole section is is it even going into the blues revelation stuff, or is it just the the first part of it? I would I would say the whole thing. Like yeah, start to finish. I just think that it's the perfect song. It it also just gives you um, it, what I think it does perfectly well is that it captures kojic black church culture mm. um like the the like the politics of it the um the kind of the gestures the language all of it is in that song um, the showmanship of it too right and sort of yeah. to see and be seen um the, the ones one-upsmanship yeah it's all yeah. in <laughs> like and that one's and it captured it in such a, a poetic way mm-hmm. um and also in a very funny way Oh yeah, um, and uh, and also like that, yeah, you know, like that feeling. Um, I also just, I just the the story of it. It is a, it's a, it's a one act, uh, musical, and a song. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say it's a ten minute show within a song. Now it's real. Now it's real. Can you deal with the real? Hit me with the Holy Ghost. 
What it does so well is that it captures not only the 1970s, but it also captures kind of like this uh, post-Clark sisters, <laughs> like <laughs> gospel uh, sound that like that is really just evocative of the time. Mm. It's also, I mean, and, and from a dramatic storytelling point, it's the inciting incident of Youth's Journey. It's when he mm-hmm. connects to music in a way that will launch him for the rest of the show. Is it the I Want song? How dare you assume that Passing Stranger would conform <laughs> to an I Want song? Um, all that, I mean, all his his want is just to find the real. So every time, anytime anyone says the real, that is the I Want song and the reprise. When Rebecca Nomi Jones says nonstop to the real, I'm like, that's the reprise of the I Want song. It's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, right when it was starting to feel real. I love that too. Um, I mean, the whole Amsterdam section, I think, is a masterpiece. Oh, of... yeah, I was going to say, it's all right. It's probably, if it's, we're talking about just joy, then I'm mm-hmm. talking, it's probably, it's all right. It's probably yeah. my favorite. Yeah, Keys, It's All Right is one of those numbers. That was probably the first time I experienced in a theater an audience and and cast energy that was just sort of blended. Where So, you know, we're now in a culture where audiences really want the actors to know that they're there. Mm-hmm. And so they will woo, they will scream. Uh, you know, this has been discussed a lot with Miss Michelle Curling and Funny Girl, who is great in the show, but the audience reactions are stupid. Like, she knows you're there. She can see all of you out there. You don't have to shout when she hits a note. Let let Mama finish the song. But before this time, when we all became awful, this was the first time I had been in a theater where the audience was just so jazzed about the vibes going on and Stu's energy and then also just the writing of it of the rep the repetitiveness not repetitive but the the continuation of the list Josephine yeah. Baker that's all right James Baldwin and it's because it just keeps going and going and it's you know we're now once we get to Europe that we finally get the back wall of all the neon lights so there's all this flood of color on stage and it's this energy that just everyone just like started singing back and everyone got up from their seats and this was like a half full house in the middle of march at the <laughs> Velasco theater and no one did it to be like special or the one everyone was just so fucking jazzed and it was a really beautiful moment to have and i was which is why i was so glad that they did it on the tonys but also i was like they should just do the whole sequence because doing it doing the eight minute sequence in three minutes it it, makes sense (laughs) it just sort of changes it they they did their best and they they got they were able to get to a good energy there but it was like you really need the full eight minutes Baptist Ashton Show is your favorite song in the show? It's my favorite song. I um so what what it does um is that it so for those who haven't seen it, uh in this uh in the show, 
uh, youth is uh, attending church with his mom. Uh, and he is waking up. It's, it's kind of a ritual. It's their, their weekend ritual. Um, and this is the first time um, that he gets or he has a religious experience. But it's not a religious experience. It's his first time falling in love with music. You know, falling in love with uh, with R&B, gospel, call and response, and his understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on a documentary that he saw on PBS. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, uh, and that's an end. Uh, it, it also is the, the inciting incident that takes place is that um, he acts a fool. He mm-hmm. embarrasses his mom in church. She slaps uh, the hell out of him. Slaps the hell out of him. And that moment, uh, it allows him or, or, or it kind of, creates a distance between him and his mom, but also him and the church mm-hmm. and puts him on the path to being a musician. Mm-hmm. Well, cause he joins the church choir, not for religious purposes, but to get closer to music, I guess. And then also, you know, he's following his teenage hormones when Miss Edwina Williams is like, get up on here. Yes. <laughs> what, honestly, my, my favorite part of, uh, Deidre's performance is her Edwina. That, that woman just nails it so hard, but <laughs> so good. It's the thing about youth, which is, you know, it's so weird to call the character youth because it's also true of like youth in general. Yeah. But you know, you know how like we all walk down the street mm-hmm. and we're the main character because we are the main character of our lives. You know, we're the lead. And so not only is our opinion right, we think that, you know, everyone will share our opinion. Like there's nothing insulting about our opinion. So when he has his religious experience at church and his inside and his you know epiphany of his uh new relationship to music and how church is related to music he doesn't realize that like what he's how he's acting is offensive to his mother because it's very different for her what church does and what it means and he never bothers to understand what it is she feels because there's the line in, in mom songs just like um well, where she's like, uh, you may, how can you, why can't you make room for me in your world as I made room for you in mine? Exactly. And it's true. It's sort of like the, the nagging thing of the show of, you know, this woman who loves her child, doesn't understand her child, but loves him and is trying to, you know, get that connection back. And he just could not be bothered. And it's not until it's too late that, you know, he realizes how, selfish and stupid he's been and in this pursuit of trying to find the real he's lost sight of all the real things around him uh like his relationship with his mother the love that's that was there uh because spoiler alert what happens to mother mother passes away from uh we assume cancer or some kind of virus but she 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 passes away yeah uh, when he uh is out in in berlin he's mm-hmm life he's being a 20 something he's following his hormones he's following his passion yeah. he's you know he's slumming it he's living the artist's life but in doing so he kind of puts her aside he stops communicating with her and uh he misses her final moments he does he he ignores his roots to become someone new and he now you know so much there's now just so much regret in him that ultimately wakes him up and i think that's probably what helps him become the better artist is he actually now has had the true heartbreak and pain that comes from 
really kind of being blind for so long and and losing so much all of a sudden it's probably cancer they don't say she we don't, they don't say it all but like you, you you your mind goes places You're like how does she yeah. <laughs> exactly and also the timeline of act two is is strange passing strange one might say because it can feel like it's only been a few months it's I think he's in Berlin for a while, right? Like, a while. yeah. So, uh, so he he goes there um, during the night the uh, the May riots of 1987, which were a big thing. This is right before the wall fell. Also similar to Hedwig. <laughs> like, and uh, I, was, I would say if there's if there's one score in musical theater that we could connect Passing Strange to, it would be Hedwig. It would be Hedwig. Yeah, and it feels like it, it feels like a time, but like, they actually, and I think one line of dialogue. They actually clarify that uh, how long he's actually been there. So he goes to Amsterdam, I want to say in like 1985, mm-hmm. and he's been, or in 1986, and then he goes to Berlin in 1987. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's definitely in Amsterdam for a while because that's the thing about Amsterdam is it's such a paradise for him. It's such a you know, magical place. And you, he gets so lost in the culture and the new world of it all that you know it's sort of like a you blink and six months have passed and then you yeah. blink again and nine months have passed and he part of the reason why he ends up leaving amsterdam is because it's just so perfect he can't write he's either i have no pain to communicate i only have this wonderful whole feeling i oh i just feel so complete i can't be here anymore uh which we're all sitting there being like bitch stay <laughs> right, right. <laughs> do you know how rare it is to feel this way fucking stay um i know i love how this show also just like plays around with genres all the time like when the when he decides he's gonna leave for europe it's like about to be this big emotional moment and then the scene changes and well, they do like a french film yeah okay. <laughs> french film. it's so good oh it's so good yeah i uh, yeah i i think that like what what the show does well so like so what where where it sits i mean yes you can compare it to uh, um a uh Hedwig especially that's the only really the only musical we can really compare it to but yeah the template argue, of Hedwig I guess but I would argue that it's actually in a really interesting trifecta I would say that like in terms of like black expression and like what um this kind of like this a, a new uh that I, I would say it's it's music theater or like it's musical theater yes but it's music theater it's it's changing how musical theater is seen or uh, expressed. So I would say that that trifecta would be The Bubbly Black Girl Shuts Her Chameleon Skin by Chris uh, Kirsten Childs, mm-hmm. Asking Strange by Stu and Heidi, and then it would be uh, A Strange Loop by Michael R. Jackson. Um, and they're all, because one, they're just tethered together, like thematically, but also musically, they're, uh, the, they're kind of these form-expanding musicals, each of them with their own sounds, uh, where Bubbly uh has um that explores like girl group and explores traditional musical theater it explores r&b and show tunes a strange loop explores like lilith fair alternative rock it explores gospel folk bedroom pop uh alternative rock music and passing strange is kind of tethered in between the two of them Mm -hmm. Um, and also thematically Passing Strange, what that does by comparison is that it's looking at code switching, uh, it's looking at Black identity, and it's doing it through this kind of fourth wall breaking odyssey mm-hmm. age story. Bubbly Black Girl, Shedra Chameleon Skin, what that's doing, 
while it's also kind of an odyssey, it's coming of age story, and it follows a character similarly over a similar period of time, about like 10, 15 years from a little girl to a young adult, uh, that explores a young woman who is dealing with internalized racism and self-worth and also segregation or de facto segregation and racial profiling at that time in the wake of like the 1966, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Mm. That particular show is um, is looking at her experience of that and her kind of coming into herself and like really kind of not trying to be an angry Black woman, not trying to express rage, trying to hold it all in. Mm-hmm. And um, and also with, with feeling a difference, kind of like going away, going to New York, not, re- not really running away from her roots, but like she goes to New York and she tries to uh, be an artist, you know, and this is based on Kirsten Child's career. She worked in um, with uh, Richard Pryor. She's has a very long career as a, as a showgirl before she became a musical theater writer. And so you're watching her experience, you know, working with Bob Fosse on Chicago, having to like code switch as a black performer. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, you see, like, so thematically it's tethered to that. And passing strange, uh, and uh, excuse me, not passing strange, strange loop, what that does, it's kind of honoring both of those shows and like looking at the legacy of both of those shows. But what it's doing is that um, it is exploring Black queer life in the age of Truvada and looking at that through the prism of like people kind of you know, growing up in the age of social apps like Jack and Grindr um, and what that can do to uh, a a fat Black queer person and, and, you know, and look at their self-worth and also looking at how AIDS has affected the Black community and and created divisions upon divisions upon divisions, Um, looking at the double consciousness. So all of them, each of these shows are looking at W.E.D. Boyce's Black consciousness, looking at the double consciousness that uh, is forced on African-Americans, feeling like you have, like you're, like you're both Black and you're both American, but you can't like be both and like having to like walk that tightrope. Yeah, and there being confines of like what what you is you have to be like if you're going to be both. Something I really like about Strange I'm not as familiar with uh, Chameleon Skin as I am with Strange Loop and Passing Strange, but something I like about both of those shows is that with the protagonists, they do explore everything you're talking about Mm -hmm. uh, as well as on a human level, what it is about those characters in particular that is keeping them from achieving what it is they want to achieve. Cause a lot of it is the world and society and community and, and um, the rigidness of what everyone in their uh in their um, communities are supposed to be, and then their own personal obstacles that are keeping them from becoming a better them, if that makes sense. Like with Usher, and, and I don't want to talk about Strange Loop too much because that is going to be the final episode of this se- of this series. Um, I'm 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 giving it. I'm th- this series is going to go on for like the next six months, so I'm like giving it some time. But you know, with Usher, there's so much about him mentally and emotionally that is blocking him from everything around him and part of it is a wall to protect himself from all the trauma that he has experienced and continues to experience uh every day and then part of it is also just his the self at some point the self-defense mechanism just becomes a shield that 
keeps everything outside mm-hmm. at arm's length. And you can't grow without interaction. You can't find any success unless you try with other things. And I like, I do like that Strange Loop constantly is swinging back and forth between those two things. And I think Passing Strange does the same thing in a less harsh way because yeah. youth has not really, and that what I actually, and I think part of the reason why there's so much humor in Passing Strange and why ultimately Passing Strange should be more palatable for audiences is like youth's life has not been hard and there's and there is a conundrum for a lot of people about that as a black man in america it's like what do you mean that you come from a comfortable home and that you've had there's been no violence or sexual predator uh uh predatorialness or like you haven't had like any violence or drug problems like what do you mean that you're a that you come from a household where everyone is educated and nice and, and, and intellectual what do you mean and him coming out and throw be like if I want to make an impact, do I have to like be damaged in a lot of ways? So he kind of puts on that skin uh, that doesn't really fit him because that's not what he's about. And does that make him less of a successful man of color in, in America if that's the case? And I, I I think that is sort of an interesting uh, perspective that Stu gives the show. And I like I because I, in order to tell everyone's story we have to tell everyone's story and i and that's something you were sort of talking about with um the code switching with uh kristen childs was her name yeah so so uh, kirsten childs yeah her kirsten, um, sorry kirsten child yeah no uh yeah uh, uh so what what th- that does what, what all three shows do um is looking at because kirsten also came from la as well mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh but she makes her journey to new york not to europe yeah and um she came from you know a middle class home she did not suffer from poverty she did not have you know drugs in the household there wasn't any kind of like to you know at least in the play there's no there's no sexual violence there's no you know we're not seeing uh what you you know we're not seeing black trauma the the, you know like not uh in the way in which we're used to seeing it because Mm -hmm. that's that's really that's what these shows kind of combating in a way it's like the only way you want to see black stories on stage is by having black trauma because black trauma makes money we don't make money from it but (laughs) (laughs) yeah well because it makes it makes white Shows that, like that for white audiences, I, it, sorry, I can only speak from the white people that I sit around, um, <laughs> but when I hear them talk about these shows, going to see these shows and talking about the importance of it all, I sit there going, do you think you've done the work by sitting there and and feeling bad about yourself for 90 minutes? That's not like sitting there and watching a show about black <laughs> trauma is not doing the work. Like you're, 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 it's, it's sitting there for 90 minutes saying mea culpa and then walking out and be like i am such an ally because i sat there and felt bad for 90 minutes like no there there are so many other stories to to embrace and support uh so i know do you know um speaking of uh kirsten child do you know who candy brown is candace brown um candace brown uh isn't that a playwright i believe no uh so she was a broadway dancer in the 60s and 70s and i think through the early 80s she was a fossey girl uh worked with michael bennett a couple times she's one of the original dancers that a chorus line is based off of she was like in that core group that did that day where they basically sat and got drunk it for nine hours and talked about their lives and can't do that they, today. Hmm? <laughs> i'm like can't do that today can't do that today but i mean the character of richie in a chorus line is 
uh, inspired by her. And I'll talk about this more in the course line ep- episode, I suppose. But like part of the reason why Richie does not have any major trauma in the show is because Candy doesn't have never really had any major trauma. And she's talked about this and she's sitting there listening to all these people just cry about my parents they don't love me and i blah, blah, blah. and she they get to candace being like well candy tell us about being a black woman in america she's like my parents love me and want me to be happy i was like i went to school we i we i never wanted for anything i came to new york i got a job it's all been good i'm so sorry like she's <laughs> like i'm so sorry that i can't tell you guys about the sad life she's like i've i've done very well and but like that's i i, I that story is just as valid as any other story and i and so i i like i like having all these different perspectives and i it's it's always humorous to me to watch white audiences be like huh i'm like yeah believe it or not there are people who are not white who've had very successful wonderful full lives i remember when i owned everything the sun and the moon and the rain my domain Stretched and yawned along the astral plane The universe is a toy in the mind of a boy And life is a movie too Starring you I really can't talk about Strangely too much because I have so much to say about that thing uh, and I have to say this for the episode but I will say memory song is when all the theatrics go away and he's just raw and there um it's oh god yeah and and, and if you and if you would like look at it too i mean they do it in passing it's strange as well yeah, yeah. where everything kind of goes away um and he uh he's you know it's really i mean he's kind of got had working the wound and then he just go you know he sets the scene for his mother and this yeah. really moment. <laughs> it's yeah. The the art finally has a moment of of human connection and love, and it's the simplicity of it all. After you know, two hours of everything, of just kind of just stopping it all and saying, you know what, like as exciting as this is, hot as this is, electrifying as this is, this none of this is real. We keep talking about, and he says that he gets to this at the end where he's like, We keep talking about the real, and youth keeps looking for the real. And he talks about Pretzel Man. Yeah. Uh, uh, that monologue kills me every yeah, time. I'm trying to find the exact, uh, I wrote down some of the words that Pretzel Man said. I can't, I don't, I didn't write all of it, but um, the kid is looking for something in life that can only be found in art. Some people find art more meaningful than life. And there, there is an artifice to art, of course, right? But it, what everyone's always trying to do when they're telling a story theatrically or dramatically is, you know, finding kernels of truth mm-hmm. and presenting them in a way that everyone can connect to. And mm-hmm. part, and there are v- varieties of ways to do that. Either you go super hardcore on the reality, like just make it a, a minuscule moment of life and make it as detailed as possible or you go for a bigger picture and you make it a little more abstract so everyone can kind of project their journeys onto it it's you know the corporate negativity people have like that one direction songs it's like and that bo burnham made fun of is like they're so generic about the girl they're describing that every girl <laughs> in the world thinks it's about them like girl i love your face because your face is on your body and every girl's like my face is on my body but so with passing strange 
he Stu and Heidi really kind of just they throw every genre of music out there, including like even kernels of musical theater. They do it for, you know, comedic effects because they don't really know how to write musical theater stuff. They don't look Which down upon it. Big moment. It's like he tries to sing his um, I'm not going to take I'm it. getting out of this town song, he yeah. says. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, I can't write it. <laughs> yeah. But I think what makes it so good for people like me who, you know, are true musical theater babies is like Heidi and Stu have no disrespect for musical theater. They like it. Like Heidi actually likes musical theater, uh, not likes it more than Stu, but she's known it longer than Stu has. They both enjoy musical theater. They're just like, that's not how our brains think of songs. And that's totally okay. Um, They've they've learned a lot from musical theater in terms of storytelling, which I really appreciate. But yeah, uh, he's like, we tried to write it. We couldn't. And so there's no, uh, mean spiritedness about it the humor just comes from like we tried couldn't do it i mean that's well that's kind of the ethos of of his whole you know of of their whole uh, song writing career because i mean they really only have two musicals they have yeah. this they have another show called the total band which was mm-hmm. at the public. and i totally I, saw it too yeah i, I just saw yeah i saw mm-hmm. both iterations of it so i saw the the original when they were trying it mm-hmm. and it was uh come and whatever well you know we're just gonna fix it and then we're gonna actually do the presentation later and uh very different shows <laughs> both yeah of them. What, what they have in common total bent and passing strange is that they are both very much a vibe and i don't mean that in the way that like instagram girls say like she's such a vibe i mean like you're in the theater and there's an electricity about the way that Stu and Heidi write music and the way that they use it for storytelling that even if you're not entirely sure what's going on, you are very much involved. Yeah. And like, I cannot tell you what the plot of the total event was. I remember something about a recording studio. It's a recording but, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's about a son and a father and son, but it's changed. So like the version that did you see the recent version, the last, the last, I saw whatever was at the public at the, and Pashkar Theater, whatever it's called, where was with the guy from um 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 that show, uh yeah that guy who did the thing, who did the thing, <laughs> um oh my god it's a great move it's a great show anyway um no I, I there, the guy who played the son I don't know if he was known yet or if he was or if he got known right after that but the guy who played the son what yeah with with, with uh Kristen um. <laughs> what is that show called i'm gonna be so mad i watched it i watched all of it um it was with kristen kristen um with dad and uh kristen oh kristen um, bell no kristen bell yes kristen bell they, and Doc shepherd did a show together well they did well they, they did a, a thing to, uh, to yeah they did something that's how they met but i'm saying she did an actual she did a show with the guy from total band and what is that show called <laughs> how was it house of lies no 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 it was called good place good place thank you so much he wait who from the good place was in the total band was it cheaty cheaty was in the total band that's what i remember yeah okay marcus scott marcus scott you've been sitting on this information <laughs> i was like yeah yeah so the guy who did yeah his you, yeah. No, you do no you do not wait i don't i don't trust you i don't trust you as yeah. far as i can throw you i am convinced that you are getting your wires crossed because no, for the last I, 10, i'm very thousand years you were calling him that guy from the thing who did the stuff and i do not trust you like, as far yeah. as i can throw you he was in a good place yeah um and uh and so his name is william jackson harper yes he was in yeah that's him um yeah. 
So like he was in um uh the uh the show um total so he, so he did it in 2012 I guess yes so yes he did because I I saw the one in 2016 uh, so that's okay. not who I saw so that's so yes so I I so who was I forgot it doesn't matter but now but that's it matters when, to me because that's when I saw it and I yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. like if I fucking it saw Genie do the show I will lose myself yeah he did um, so yeah so yeah uh, that's when I saw it uh, okay. I saw both yeah that's so he did the first version of it um, he played the and, sun in 2012. Mm-hmm. And who played it? Was it? It, it was. Oh, it was a two. Uh, Langston Wood, who who I eventually saw in Slave Play. Yes, Slave Play. That, when I saw Slave Play, I was like, I remember you, and I don't remember why. And then I looked in his program, I'm like Total Ben. That's right. There, he has a song when he like takes over the mic and he's like standing on a chair or something, and he's just like feeling his body. And I was like, that is the track that I want to do if I ever ever go back on a stage. I want to play a role where I get to sing a stew song and I just get to feel my body on a chair in front of everyone. I want that life. <laughs> no, it was. I mean, it has one of the best songs too. It's called "Mary Magdalene." Mm-hmm. I love that song. It's a whole bop. But uh, yeah, what what uh, what I would say about that show, what that show did was um, that it, so it's about uh, a, a father and son who go to um, who are trying to record an album. They have the uh, are a, a gospel act. And the the son has been under the father's shadow for a long time, and he strikes out on his own to become his own artist. What the show really is about, like if we look at it from like a like from like a metaphorical thing, it's actually following like the uh, the uh, passion of Christ. Like he has, it's literally looking at like his rise, and then it's looking at like his downfall. Yeah. Or if you're looking at it from a pop culture stance, it's the closest thing to like the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spider from Mars. Mm-hmm. It's looking at the rise of a, 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 a an icon and the fall, downfall. I also like, love that you're like, here are all the levels and, and, and layers to the show and, and the religious elements. And I'm like, I just liked it when he was being a slut on a chair. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a very, like, it's a very, like, like philosophically, it's actually very, and also I, I, it helps that I spoke to, I got to, uh, to meet Stu mm-hmm. at the 2012 version. Mm. And I spoke to him about both Passing Strange and the show. Of course, I was going up to him as like a fan, not because I know Stu. <laughs> like, well, just, now you know, Stu. You're like, oh, that man, he and I. Well, <laughs> what did you guys talk about in regards to Passing Strange? Because that is technically speaking the show we're talking about. Yes. Um, I, 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 well, what I was doing is I was working on my thesis, which uh, is not like Passing Strange. But I was asking him about you know uh, just about the criticisms he got and like how did he come along to like the structure of it and he just said it was like a lot of it was rehearsal and a lot of it he he really gave a lot of power to the director and so mm-hmm. that really helped shape him because he's like he says you know he's a storyteller he's a songwriter but in terms of like shaping the show to what it became it became a lot of her teaching him like the mechanics of how to write a musical yeah. Well, that's also the power of collaboration. And this show was in development for three, four years. They started as uh, a workshop at Sundance uh, mm-hmm. Theater Lab, which is people remember is where Fun Home was developed. And I think Carolina Change even had some development there. A lot of mm-hmm. lot of shows that people would know. They also got uh, also did uh, some some stuff there as well. Who did? Uh, uh, Strange Loop. Uh, Strange Loop. Yeah. Um, the thing with passing strange, so usually you go for like a season to develop and whatever, and then you go off and you do workshops elsewhere. Passing strange is one of the few musicals that got asked back 
uh, two years in a row to to come back for further development, yeah. which they did. And then they did their world premiere at Berkeley Rep, I think, in 2006. That sounds right. Yeah. And yeah. then they did their production at the public in the spring of 2007 and then moved to Broadway in the early part of 2008. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a lot of development. And that's a lot of development. But if you think about it, that's actually very short for musicals. I mean, considering like that uh, Hamilton took seven eight years to write yeah well <laughs> hamilton is also like the danger of when one person is responsible for creating all of it and Stu very much is like the brainchild of passing strange but he's still held accountable by working with heidi by having annie as his director you know basically lynn had sort of tommy kale check in every nine months be like did you write a song lynn you write a song today <laughs> i wrote one a year <laughs> yeah and then i was like okay we have to like we're gonna like expedite this from yeah. Right yeah i i, I relate hard to lynn in the sense that like you give me a deadline and i will get it done but if left to my own devices like i will say well i wrote a scene yesterday so i can spend the rest of the week playing video games which is not really how that works but also we just have so many different distractions now i mean like that That's what is true. it I, I did a, a story about Stephen Sondheim for the New York City Center for Into the Woods. And mm-hmm. in my, re- my research, I found out that, like, they wound up writing, like, Gypsy in, like, four months. It's Yeah. Well, it, and that was but that was an anomaly because, like, for, for people who want more information on Gypsy, you can go back to that episode in the Stephen Sondheim series uh, called A Little Sondheim Music. But it really that show is an anomaly for all of them because Arthur's never written anything as good before or since. Uh, my hot take is that Arthur Lawrence was a very smart man who wrote a couple of good things and like two great things, but wrote also like a lot of crap that he never was willing. He always blamed the failures of his plays on other people. And I'm like, girl, you wrote like seven Broadway plays that all flopped. Maybe the problem is you. And Sondheim, God love him, procrastinator up the wazoo, uh, and also like collaborating with Arthur and, and Julie Stein. So like had people he had, who was holding him accountable. And like most shows are not written that fast. I think the only Broadway show that was successful that was written faster than Gypsy was Wonderful Town. But that was because they had to do a complete overhaul between like Broadway and uh, like off, uh, out of town and Broadway. Like they had a whole different creative team. And then Compton Green and Leonard Bernstein came in and they're like, guys, we have to throw everything out. Start from scratch. And they're like, oh shit. Oh, we got a month. We got like a month to do this. And I mean, Wonderful Town is a good show. It's not as great as Gypsy. But considering they had like a month to write it, you're like, God bless. But I mean, what shows are as good as Gypsy? <laughs> like, you know, it's really. true. I mean, Gypsy is objectively pretty, pretty perfect Pre- my guest Preston Max Allen found one flaw in it which is that there is no indication whatsoever in the show that Louise will ever become Gypsy Rosalie like there, she never makes an astute observation or a comical wisecrack just like you need one or two moments that can foreshadow who she could become if she comes out of her shell so when she does it's not a total surprise as it is this it's all on the actress to create that arc during the strip yeah. and Benanti has probably come the closest to really exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Benanti pretty much nails it, but again, because it's such an uphill battle, she doesn't. She, I wouldn't say she's like 100% successful at making go. Oh yes, the trajectory makes perfect sense now. She just she navigates it as good as anyone can, and that is all you can ask of her it's not her fault that arthur lawrence gave her no setup until that moment to become gypsy rosley we just had sex there's nothing sleazy about her natural reflex 
It's nice and easy, no need to crane your necks. It's all cool breezy, baby. What's a little bedroom traffic? Evening news is pornographic. We just had sex. That's right, all three of us. It's not complex. It's no big deal at all. We'll smoke cigarettes and probably talk about 10 or 15 things before anyone brings up the fact that we just had sex. That might be another reason why there's why it's difficult for that show to continue to thrive is there's the question of can that show be performed effectively without Stu? Like, does it does the artifice become too much when you have someone playing him? I I, I would argue that yes, it could still work. The, the thing I think, though, to your point, uh, when it comes to scansion and prosody, that if you were to hand someone the book you know, the script to Passing Strange and say, mm-hmm. go compose it, mm-hmm. that no one would come close uh, to uh, the breath and the, uh, I don't say it's deep, <laughs> but just like the heart and the soul of it, the, mm-hmm. because of, of, I just think that musical theater, it takes an, it takes an outsider, someone who's not a musical theater person mm-hmm. to write the show that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, musical theater. I think that like there are people, there are musical theater uh, composers and artists who are currently working in the form that are pushing it, that are really kind of taking it places and take taking it to exciting places. But so much of them have the same influences. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, you have your um, Lacusa composers, you have your Sondheim composers, you have your Larson composers. But I think that this right here is pulling from so many traditions outside of musical theater. Mm-hmm. That almost you need you need to kind of have that world culture that he kind of like cultivated throughout his career, absolutely his artistry to bring it to the stage. Um, and because it's pulling from so many different places, I just think it's impossible for someone to sit there and try to emulate the sounds that he's emulating. You can watch it, you can study it, but you uh, it's one of those things of okay, if it doesn't live in you, it doesn't live in you. And this is one of those examples. And I would it's I would say to to compare it same thing with uh with a headwig like you know you could you could listen to david bowie but if you aren't if you aren't absorbing david bowie you can't write uh midnight radio no you if you you know if you are interested in um the new york dolls and you're listening to their albums and you're absorbing their music that's how you write a, a sugar daddy but you can't write <laughs> uh you know you, you can't write a a uh origin of love if you don't if those you know if you're not listening to roxy music or if you're not listening to like the music of that time it's just it just won't happen (laughs) and i think that like it's it's something it's very similar to Stu. he's pulling from you know the clark sisters he's pulling from you know muddy waters he's pulling from some princes in there all of the influences that he highlights he's pulling from josephine baker and her cabaret acts you know, so he's put all of that is in the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I, so two things. Number one, the way you sort of talk about Stu and how he approaches the show. And, and when you talk about like outsiders of musical theater coming in and writing musical theater works and sort of changing the game just due to their them not being part of the world. It's that it's one of the rare instances where like ignorance is bliss. Uh, I don't know if you've ever. Mm-hmm. read any interviews the way you the way you were just talking about Stu reminded me of the way Orson Welles talked about making Citizen Kane which was his first film as a film director 
And when people said like, you know, you created so many cinematic things that we do today that no one ever done before. Like, how did you think to do it? And he's like, I didn't know how to make a movie. No one told me you couldn't do it. He was like, I was like, I don't know. Like we got on set. I was like, could we maybe move the camera this way? And no one told me no. And that's sort of the way I feel like Stu and Heidi created Passing Strange was like, they would write things that just sort of came to them that seemed organic and natural. And it was so different from anything else because they didn't really know that no one did that. It's it just where their heads went. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, there's a wonderful ignorance to all of that that really creates fantastic new works where learning about the pillars of, of theatrical storytelling help is sort of just in the consistency of churning out more stage works but I think what you're talking about that I fully believe, and I wish more people did this, is just exposure to everything and absorbing everything. You know, you talked about Sony musical theater writers. Now we have our people emulating Lynn and Sondheim and Lacusa and then the new Pasek and Pauls and doing the everyone trying to write the next this is me. And I'm like, go oh, fuck yourself. But I the world is so immense and art there's just a never-ending fountain of art coming out and there's hundreds thousands of years of art to absorb you gotta look at all as much of it as you can of various degrees not if you're writing a musical don't just look at every musical that's ever written listen to different genres of rock country uh doo-wop watch movies Sondheim loved movies he would think of musical theater as a film score books tv go out into the street and see what's going on out there experience some new life there's just so much to take in and it can influence you to write anything and as we were talking about the different flavors of this score you know in the same way that it reminds me a lot of Carolina Change or Great Comet that's like it doesn't adhere to one specific genre it has an overall thematic genre but like when when people say oh is passing strange rock musical it's like yeah overall it's rock but it's not rock as you would think it and there are other genres mixed in as with in there as well gospel blues euro pop eastern european performance art that whole what's inside is just a lie i'm like everyone needs to do that once sophomore year of college just to just to throw the spaghetti at the wall and try something. Yes, agreed. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel just very strongly about that. I, I mean, I, I have a degree in musical theater writing, but I don't come from... You know, I wasn't born with uh, musicals strapped to my arm. 
you know, I wasn't sitting in front of, you know, watching Oliver or, you know, Annie. Those were really the only shows I knew, actually. Like, you know, I, I, I thought that was a musical. I was like, I hate that. You know, Marcus is saying all this while looking directly into my eyes and just dragging me through <laughs> the dirt. <laughs> wow, Marcus. Wow. I didn't I didn't know I didn't know until this moment how much you hated me, everything I stood for, and everything I've lived for. <laughs> but like no, like like I didn't have that. And so like, but like it freed me to like write and like figure out forms by by watching and kind of like by falling in love with it as an outsider coming in. It kind of it kind of changed the way I thought of like stories and like and that in many ways it's worked against me, you know, because I'm not a scholar. I can tell you what I know. What I I can sit there and I can critique something. I can tell you what is working, what's not. I can, mm-hmm. I can tell you what the formula is. I can tell you like the history of it if I know enough about the subject. But I'm not a scholar on this on, on musical theater. I I do think that like it has been a benefit to me and it's been a benefit to a lot of artists coming in who just take from different different backgrounds. And I think that what Stu has done, even though he hasn't been as prolific as some of his uh, peers um, in musical theater, uh, is that he really kind of created a lane, not only for himself, but like for a lot of like new and up and coming writers. And that's how you get a strange loop. I mean, a strange loop is greatly, is greatly indebted to you know, this particular show. And I would even argue, uh, you know, plays as well that are coming up and, um, and art playwrights who are um, are trying to figure out who they are, um, have, are, have been influenced by it. I mean, ain't no more, go to that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's opening on Broadway. And even though you can argue that uh, it is more of a chicken and biscuits than it is a passing strange or mm-hmm. it's a colored museum that, you know, as it is, um, it, it's still there. There are still moments of clarity that are in that. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. That doesn't stop me from having a million opinions about it. Oh, have welcome, <laughs> <laughs> theater day. Um, no, I, I I fully intend to see it. And one of the actresses from Chicken and Biscuits is in it as well. Yes. Um, is it? It's Ebony Marshall. Is that who's in it? I believe so. Yeah, I, I also know that like um, there's an actress. I think Crystal Lucas Perry, who's in currently in um 1776. Not currently anymore because Ain't No More has now started performances. She left 1776 oh, to go do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that she's enjoying her time in Ain't No More more so than she was in 1776. Uh, I, 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 yeah. The but we're not talking about 1776. We're not even talking about Crystal Perry. We're talking about Fast and Strange. Although, same theater. Uh, although, I also do want to say, speaking of um, toxic asshole uh, and pompous douchebag Arthur Lawrence, uh, his Patty Lapone Gypsy was the same season as Passing Strange. And yes, I have discussed Patty Lapone Gypsy on this podcast before. I was not a fan of it. Uh, as much as I thought, I thought Benanti was stellar. I know. I know. Oh, Marcus is like retreating within himself. He's like, oh no. I loved it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Many people did. Listen, my issue with that Patty Lapone Gypsy was it was just a little too much. And I I did see it twice. I saw it towards the end of previews and then I saw it in August because a friend wanted to see it. And I would actually argue that Patty got better and a lot of the show, in my opinion, got a little sluggish because it was three hours long. It was the longest show of all time. Because every line was important and everyone on stage was like 
no one has ever acted like I've acted before. I am acting like an actor. I know this is a musical, but we're actors. And if you read every single interview with Arthur Lawrence, he was like, the difference between this production and any production that's ever productioned is that this production is acting. And I'm like, Arthur, Arthur, we get it. You wrote the book of Gypsy. That's enough. But so he got a Tony nomination for director for that. And I was furious because... um. What's Annie's last name from Passing Strange? Uh, Annie Dorson. I was like, how dare you give Arthur Lawrence a Tony nomination for making Gypsy four hours long? And Annie Dorson, who shaped Passing Strange, who gave it a, uh, a point of view, who made the whole thing come together, gets shafted. I say shenanigans tony awards i say shenanigans it would have shafted that entire that whole musical i mean the only the fact that it only got best musical best book for musical i mean that that says well that's another conversation because then it becomes the in the heights versus passing strange of it all and i don't (laughs) and the heights was great i mean like it's a great it's a wonderful musical but well so that were you well? I guess you were you you because you became familiar with Passing Strange once the movie came out, not when it was on Broadway. Were you like at all in tune with sort of the conversations of the Broadway scene that year? So, so uh, yeah, I know that. So that's like when I like I was uh so okay. So that year I was an undergrad, mm-hmm. um, and I was uh I had just become an acting major, so I was very much. Because uh, I, I double, that's what I, that's, that's what I did. I, I was a double major in journalism and acting. Um, I like and- how you and I describe our acting years, like um, gay people talk about when they were still in the closet. Or like I was confused. I was figuring myself out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then I was like, you know, I want to be a writer. That's what happened. Um, I was like, why do I like the stage? Oh, I want to write stories. Mm. I don't want to act. <laughs> but <laughs> I like I- acting. I like the attention. I just don't want to audition ever again. Just give me, just give me a job. Don't make me audition. Yeah, I, I I like acting. I just I, what it is is I um I don't like the um the staginess of it. I also like I I learned too that like I like the process of it, mm. like being the rehearsal and so forth and so on. Yeah. Um, but when you're on stage, uh, and you're doing it every night, and you're at the stage, one thousand percent. So sorry, I I interrupted you. You you were in your confused stage. Sorry. So um. Oh my God! What was I talking about? You're oh, experimenting yeah. with acting. Oh, thank you. So I, I had gotten into um I had gotten into the, you know uh really watching the Tonys and really like being on top of like the history of it because I was around like a bunch of like theater gays and they were they're gonna read me for films. So I was like, no, I have to I have to watch you know like know what's going on. Um and so I was very much a part of like what was going on with that uh with that with that season. Um, but I feel that like why that particular well, I would argue it's just a better book than past uh, uh, than uh, in the Heights. It's just um, this right here is it, it's tackling it's tackling a million themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's messing with structure in ways that were up until that point. I mean, like you really didn't see structure being messed with that much, really, since like a hair. I would argue, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, which is another musical I'm very, very uh, I know very well. Um, <laughs> it was it was between this and hair for you. You, uh, yeah, we you narrowed it down to this and hair, and I said, which one do you want to tackle, babe? <laughs> and I was like, probably this one. I, I have a lot <laughs> to say about this one. Um, and also, just like I would argue that by comparison to uh, to between this and in the Heights, I just feel that like in the Heights, it's the everyone will tell you it's 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 the 
I hate to say it like this and to put it in this way, but it's the six versus the strange aloofness of it all. Mm. You know, it's the it's a lot more accessible. Yeah. Argue. So again, you know, I I don't want to talk about it too much because I have to cover it for another episode on this series yeah. in the Heights. In the Heights is an interesting case because it is a good musical. Passing Strange 1000% has the better book. You can debate the two scores because they're just so very different. And In the Heights has some amazing music and some great songs. Some of those songs I prefer to songs in Hamilton. It's like there, there's like a fire to some of those songs in, in The Heights. It's just exceptional. Passing Strange 1000% has a better book. Uh, just And In the Heights' book is better than the screenplay for the movie. But yes, <laughs> I, I watched the movie. I was like, congratulations. You made me miss the libretto. But uh, which I never thought I would say, but I did. I missed the libretto for In the Heights. But In the Heights was so interesting because I actually saw it off Broadway with the teen critics group uh, that Aisa Davis was teaching. And we all, I remember we all came out and we were like, that was pleasant. And, you know, obviously they made some changes for Broadway, but we all were like, that was nice. And when it moved to Broadway, there were some, I don't know what it is that they were able to lock into. Because Passing Strange opened about a month before In the Heights. And for some reason, the community just decided that In the Heights was the show they were going to champion. Like, that was the underdog that we were going to make a hit. And I liked it. But I every most Tony years, Marcus, I am the lone wolf. The year of Spring Awakening, much as I loved it, I was very much Team Grey Gardens. The year <laughs> of Spamalot um, and Spelling Bee, I was Team Lenny Piazza. So I'm like, I, every year, I'm always like, I'm the outlier. And so for that year, I was like, Team Passing Strange. And everyone was like, no, 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 in the Heights, like art's going to win out the day. I'm like, they're both artistic achievements in d- very different ways. Different but ways. in but Passing Strange is, it's not that in the Heights is more feel good because like Passing Strange isn't a hard sit. Like it, it's not, as you said, it's not trauma porn. It's very funny. It's very heartwarming. There's a lot of lightness to it. But I think a lot of people expected it to be kind mm-hmm. of a hard sit in that way. And in the Heights is a little more catering to traditional musical theater values of how to present a story how to put an audience at ease and to get like it's so weird to say all this because like i don't think passing strange doesn't put an audience at ease like i think it it, anyone who came through the door liked it and thought like oh this is so much more engaging than i thought it would be it was just about getting people through the door we just we couldn't get them to come fast enough i couldn't get you to come up fast enough that season it took you a year i was there where were you yeah, no, I also think that like politically too, um, there was a there's that there was also that notion too. It wasn't, I don't want to say it was that I'm I'm not, not uh, no, I'm gonna say it. it. It was a I think politically, because you had um was uh um Paul Simon had like the caper man or something like the that. Cape man. Like, Cape man. Uh before that, and they also had like um kiss uh the kiss of the spider woman. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, it was, this right here was the first show that had, like, a Latinx man, you yeah. know, descent, creating a musical that, like, was bringing these authentic sounds to Broadway and doing it with a finesse in a, in a musical theater swagger. And I think that that was, just politically, that was just a very, like, it, it, it was time for that show to yeah. become what it was. Um, also, just, like, you know, like you said at the, um, earlier, like it's just passing strange. I think the only really takeaway song that you can have is Mike Keys, mm-hmm. and that's uh, stitched to another another song. 
<laughs> like it's all right. You know, there's not really a song that you can like you can kind of like hum, uh, you know, at, you know, at a cabaret or sing in a shower, really, yeah. uh, without having to you know really listen to the entire album as a whole. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that it just it was a thing. I just I just I think that like people like songs that you can kind of not diegetic songs that's not what it is but i think you need songs that kind of like well so it sounds so i I, i've definitely talked about this before there's a little bit of a um uh not psychotic but like you have to be a little uh uh there's what's the term where like where you're kind of like emotionally uh uh subtracted from it all you're not like a you're not a psychopath you're a so like a, so you have to be a little bit of a sociopath when writing musical theater because you are capturing you're trying to capture parts of the human experience and human emotion and bottling it up in a structured way so yeah. that everyone can uh, appreciate it and and Hamid, <laughs> yeah well and so and this is where this is where the double-edged sword of Heidi and Stu's ignorance of musical theater storytelling comes into play because you have the one side, which is by not knowing what they didn't know, they broke all these barriers that they didn't know they were breaking. And as you said, like created a new lane for writers like Michael R. Jackson to now come up with a strange loop. Side note, I had this thought when you kept talking about the two of them, we should do a double feature uh, of strange loop and passing strange. And the week is called a passing strange loop. (laughs) So like Wednesday's passing strange, Thursday strange loop, and it's the it's a passing strange loop week. Um, but you have someone like Lind who totally gets musical theater, mm-hmm. and within the Heights, you know we got that killer opening in the Heights, which it's this big big number that just gets you fucking riled up. And then Act One ends with Blackout, which is an amazing Act One finale. And Passing Strange doesn't end. Act one with keys, it's all right. It ends yeah. with uh, just when it was starting to feel real. And that's, it's kind of like peters out that way. And yeah. it does, and even the show doesn't end on the big high that in the Heights ends with the I'm home. Bam. Yeah. No, like, I mean, like what Lynn did really well is like, you got in the Heights, the opening, you also got like, I think it's 96,000. Yep. Um, which is a really big number. Then you got like then you got the uh the club scene the dance scene yep, um, the club slash blackout yeah fireworks um, yeah yeah and and and, and the way it, it, you know look at the fire is it, there's so many like airworms so mm-hmm. uh, it, and you kind of already kind of see the Disneyfication of Alain yeah and into his his powers yeah and there's <laughs> and there's sort of a methodical uh formula to it all which I I'm not saying to undermine what he does and i'll talk about this more again with with the in the heights episode it's it's really impressive to do it and make it sound so organic and surprising i did say though when i finally listened to we don't talk about bruno after you know it breaking the internet i was like oh what's this song that's more popular than let it go and i listened to it i'm like oh this is his encanto version of ninety six thousand. it's structured literally the same way as ninety six thousand, which is not a bad thing ninety six thousand is one of the all-time great group numbers but uh I I was surprised. I was like, "Oh, this is what broke the internet." But yeah, like it's a great song. I mean, <laughs> it's a lovely song. You know, it's like, like <laughs> it's no part of your world, but it's fine. Uh, it's <laughs> it's but like it, there is something about in the heights of sort of the crowd pleasingness of it all. And I'm and I'm not trying to say this as a negative about it. 
I and I and I and I don't want to harp on again too much again because I have this episode that I got to do for it. But there's a there is a crowd pleasingness about it that doesn't feel desperate, but definitely is sort of like we are we are letting you in audience and we and we are in welcoming you in with open arms and when you come in you just know we're going to give you pie we're going to give you punch we're going to give you a comfy chair we're going to make sure you are good to go whereas passing strange is more like we are going to wrap our arms around you and we're not going to let you go until the show is over and you're not like it's all going to be good but just know that you're in my arms until the entire time and there's a difference between like enveloping and welcoming in and I love both. I think there's room for both. But there are a lot of audiences that just kind of want to be welcomed in. They don't want to be encased. Does that make sense? Well, I agree. Yeah. Um, there's a, I, I would say that like, also these are both shows that by, by two relatively new composers, one is like shooting his, you know, his, his, everything at the, you know, at that, at the wall and just trying to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Other one is uh, trying to be the next Stephen Sondheim, you know, mm-hmm. of this generation, and you can see very two different things in, 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 in effect. And yeah. I think that, like, uh, what uh, you know, while both of them bringing and changing the landscape of musical theater, I mean, that was a really good year for musicals. <laughs> it, that was a, I'll say, that was a really fucking incredible Tony year. And the thing we're not even talking about besides Patty LaFone Gypsy, that was also the year of South Pacific coming in. And South Pacific really was the thing that dominated that season. And it's very easy to look back and go, oh, of course, the Golden Age Lincoln Center Theater revival. That was not, the season did not begin and everyone was like, oh, of course, South Pacific's going to be the thing. South Pacific had everything not going for it. We all, every one of us thought that show has not been on Broadway in almost 60 years. Uh, Lincoln Center has been, batting zero for the last like four years since lighting the piazza like everything has been bad uh and dull and you know for upper middle class or upper middle class white people and south pacific came out and we're like oh this revival kind of fucks like we were all very surprised and so that that season we had that we had patty the pump gypsy we had the really lovely sunday in the park with george we had in the heights being so much fun we had passing strange breaking all the rules and we had xanadu just being a good gay time Yep, you had you had Xanadu and you had um, Crybaby. Yeah, we don't talk about Crybaby. About Crybaby, I mean, you like Crybaby? I thought that Crybaby was a really good attempt at trying to do John Waters. Sure, I thought that's what it was. There were two moments in Crybaby where I was like, "Here we go." (laughs) One was Ali Mozzie doing uh, Screw Loose, and then the other was the Escape from Prison dance. I was like, "I was like, this is this is the show I want." Everything else, I went okay. I mean, but also, real talk, the movie is kind of like okay. <laughs> like, yeah, like, the movie's not as good as we all think it is, but the movie is a lot no, of fun. No, it's not. It has one of my favorite lines: Ricky Lake saying, "My brother wouldn't touch your titties with a ten-foot pole. He likes his girls bad, Lenora, not cheap." <laughs> Iconic. It's Iconic. yeah. Listen, it's not as good as Hairspray. It's not as good as Pink Flamingos or Female Trouble, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I just feel that, like, you know, you can't really do... It's it, There's two playwrights you really... like. You, it's really hard to musicalize. It'll be screenwriter slash playwright John Waters, and it would be Charles Bush. Like, there's... You, it's hard to do camp. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine, though, a Die, Mommy, Die musical or a lady in... A, 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 the lady in question might work as a musical. 
that's I I could imagine them both, and I just I but I just think that that you would need someone who naturally is campy, like who has yeah. the ability to do that. And camp is hard. Camp, yeah, you know, you have to have the ability. I think if you could get, I hate him very much, but he is a he is very good at parody lyrics. Randy Rainbow to do the lyrics, and then someone fun for the music. Uh, that would could be that could be a fun time. But we're not here to brainstorm that. The fun thing about this season, though, also by the way, we were we're also uh, neglecting this. This was the season of Young Frankenstein and Little Mermaid, two shows that everyone expected oh. to be like huge behemoths and- that came in with hot ticket sales for about six months and then just died. And the Tony Awards ignored them both for musical and uh, Little Mermaid got a score nomination, but that's just because Xanadu was il- ineligible. I mean, yeah, yeah. no, um, yeah, Little Mermaid on roller skates and <laughs> the other show that was on roller skates. <laughs> the other, yeah, two. We had two roller skating shows that year. My God, <laughs> and then and, we just yeah. needed the Starlight Express revival, and we were Golden Pony Boy. Right, right, uh, and like, and um, and. We'll call it uh and young frankenstein i mean that didn't that really the, i think the problem with that show is just it just didn't it, it didn't have the um the musicality of like the producers which yeah is what they that was a show where they they definitely came at it with the confidence of we did the producers we know what we're doing and so there was a smugness about that show not just in terms of the writing but also in terms of how big they made it and then the, they had bad blood because they had kicked out uh the show before them i think they like were, they were kicking out the pirate queen or something like that which was already like bombing but there, it, it, there was already you know like pi- i think it was pirate queen don't quote me on this but i'm pretty sure it was pirate queen and the story goes like they were in the middle of like a put-in rehearsal and they saw Mel Brooks and Susan Stroman touring the theater with the theater owners. And they're like, well, we're getting kicked out soon. Um, and then they, you know, did the $400 ticket. They weren't going to release their grosses. And everyone's like, go fuck yourself. They came in so smug. I mean, yeah. And and, and it closed. It closed badly. And I, I, we're, I, we're not doing an episode on them. So that shows you what their legacy is. <laughs> that's oh, true but yeah like um and i think that like you know the i think the the blessing and the curse of a passing strange that season is that because it was the de facto i don't want to call it a black musical because you know but it was mm-hmm. uh, and because it was the de facto rock musical like in a way because i mean yes you know crybaby had rock and roll but it wasn't um it was 50s rock and roll this right here was like the cool downtown show that was bringing rock and roll up uh, um and doing it in, in a way that like hadn't been seen really since a hedwig when it was off broadway yeah. um in many ways it kind of catered for you know the, uh, the way or led the way for hedwig to come on broadway years later same um, theater no less same theater <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so uh, uh you know i i but i i think that like the 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 problem with the passing strange that year it just it was a very traditional music year and it needed uh i, th- I think that like had it come out even a couple of years ago you know barring the pandemic it would have probably mm-hmm. won up you know a uh a pulitzer or you know oh yeah but um i think that like it was just it, it needed um even though you can argue that this show um there's, there's a lot of a scandal and controversy surrounding this musical, but um, but and needed a next to normal, which came out unfortunately the following year. Unfortunately, 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's. Structurally, I mean, like it's a rock musical, right? But like mm-hmm. it's, it's it's exploring folk music, you know. It's uh, it's exploring alternative rock. It's exploring um, uh, soft pop and soft rock yeah. um, uh, sounds, and it's it's putting that all all that. And it was it was doing uh, it was exploring musical terrain that Passing Strange was already exploring, but it did it in a way in a very cohesive way. And, um, yeah. yeah, I'm 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 going to hold off my next normal thoughts for the next normal episode, which okay. is going to happen at some point. Yeah. We're very much going out of order on this series, uh, which I'm not mad about. It's been fun. It's been fun to just jump all over the place. Yeah. But it's so interesting because next to normal, the landscape is smaller in terms of what it's trying to cover storytelling wise. Yeah. But I also would argue it's less truthful about what it's covering. And mm-hmm. that is so it's uh, there's yeah. something about shows that come to Broadway and are unapologetic about presenting unvarnished truth and messy reality that mm-hmm. audiences can't always accept. And some shows do it to various degrees of success. I think Passing Strange is a show that does it very successfully. Strange Loop is another one that I think does it very successfully. But it doesn't matter really how successful the writer and production team are at presenting it. If it really gives you that unvarnished truth, that messy reality, it almost never catches on with audiences. It is very rare when it does. It's very rare. I think that like it's uh it's it's very much a big part of musical theater where those shows close early. I mean, strangely, it's closing um in mm-hmm. January. Um, you know, it won the you know the the Pulitzer, it won the Tony for best musical and best, mm-hmm. Play, but it's closing. And I, you can say it's because of the current market, and we're all you know we're coming out of this pandemic, and you know just Broadway is not making as much money as it used to previously. You know, we've made upwards like nine you know 100 million you know this year mm-hmm. but like um but typically broadway's been making a couple of billion <laughs> dollars yeah. a year. um and um and so uh yeah I, I what what um those shows do is that they wind up closing and then they catch on with the community and then people want a revival and that's how these shows really yeah. the, the life you know, of a writer, you know, they, where they, you know, they, where they kind of create a career for them. But um, I think that like, it's, yeah, it's a thing about audiences really not uh, accepting that they, they want, people want their sugar in their coffee, you know? Yeah. yeah. Their- it's, I, I, I go back and forth when I, with my views of audiences, I, some days I'm like, you're all terrible and I hate you all. And you all need to read a book. And then there are some days where I'm like, I think some of you are trying, but because it's not just like the sugar, it's it's so fascinating with these shows that don't always catch on at first and then become these classics later on. All it really is is just more familiarity. You know, it's it's having it around you more and listening to it a couple more times and and just the repetition of it all when it when it becomes part of your not your routine, but I don't I, yeah, I'll I'll use the word again when you become more familiar with it you appreciate it more and you want to see it more, you know, 
we talk about this all the time with like Sondheim shows company while it technically was a hit when it opened it was sort of like a barely a hit it won the Tony and it kind of just made back its money but the reviews were very divided audiences were, were left cold by it it's only become a classic now because over 50 years yeah. we it's been in our culture so we've been more we've had more exposure to it but I mean if something if a company like show came out today with the way the company did its own self, you know, unvarnished truth and weird abstract storytelling about, you know, our culture in a way that's just very much a mirror to our faces. Many audiences would still be like, uh, no, thank you. And it would be 15 years later when the songs are much more part of like the musical theater canon. We go, oh, we should bring that show back. That score is actually really great. And I will say Strange Loop, when, and I'll talk about it more when I get to the episode, I will say I've I've been very happy to see people in my life who were on the fence about seeing it going to see it and telling other people to go see it um there's there's an intrigue about that show this season that has made me very happy to see people who in the past might have like ignored shows like passing strange because they thought to themselves oh that sounds like a tough set have brought themselves to go see strange loop because they regret the things they've missed in the past and sort of telling themselves now, like, I can't have these regrets anymore. I got to go see the thing. Maybe I won't like it, but what if I do? And they've all liked it. And and it's been really nice to see that. Uh, too little, too late. Who's to say? I think it's there are a lot of other questions in regards to Strange Loop's short run that also just has to do with the economics of Broadway today, as you said. And then we're seeing it also with new shows coming out this season, how they struggle and producers just completely not understanding what the market is right now and what is an appropriate ticket price. Yeah. Well, what's the, well, yeah, like it's ticket prices, but also there's this, like, there's still this idea of like this invisible subscriber base of like, Oh, well, we're going to like try to, you know, look, uh, you know, these are producers who are trying to, you know, pitch these, you know, these musicals to like middle American white women, you know, mm happen to be middle-aged who yes they purchased the most tickets you know but like it is a thing of like if you build it people will come so if you you know i've always said you need to first market it to new yorkers make make theater savvy new yorkers go see it first that we will buy up all the tickets so when middle america's coming into town like what's hot like well everyone in new york is seeing this show that's what happened with hamilton um, yeah. which we'll talk about with that episode and chorus line, like all these shows that had that became big hits. And we talked about it with the rent episode. Like it started with the off-Broadway scene with all of New York wanting to see it there, and then that power moving it to Broadway. So, you know, people will go see whatever when everyone else is going to go see. Uh it's why when people talk about well, critics don't really matter anymore, they still do to an extent because it's the same thing with like a Yelp review or anything. Like you want to hear other takes from people who took the time to see it before you spend your own time and money on something. It's like, well, what did five other people say? And so then you look. I mean, that's why, that's why we have rent heads. You know, that's why we have people who, who you know, have, you know, the, spent their entire lives seeing like every iteration. Of How rent. fucking dare you say the dirtiest word of all time, Marcus rent head. <laughs> How dare you. <laughs> Anything else regarding the strange of passing Marcus that you wanted to cover? Um, I just think that on closer inspection, watching the recording of that Spike Lee so graciously gave the public, <laughs> because I noticed that there is a musical motif that comes uh, along and it happens 
at uh, every time they mention um, love. So if you follow it, I, I just think musically, I think it's a very, like, even though these are people who don't know musicals, mm-hmm. it's their homework. So if you look at, uh, I believe it's, uh, it's the breaking your heart motif. If you just, if you follow that um, into a living thing, that song, what is mm-hmm. that song? Into a living thing. That? Yeah. That follows an entire show. Interesting. There's that yeah. there's that one motif towards the end that sounds like the Phantom Vamp as played by Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Do you know what I'm talking about? The do 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 like that's yeah. that's the Phantom Vamp. But it's because it's the bum 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 but it's done like Mr. Rogers piano. It's like do 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 I never thought about that, but now I can't unhear it. Now you can't unhear it. No, I'm here. Damn. There you go. This is what this is what you come for. This is the matching comfort market. <laughs> you ruined passing straight through me. <laughs> oh, no, that's what makes it so beautiful. Um, you can hear that and still love it. If I had so I was if I had any advice for people who are interested in passing strange, I would say watch the movie first because it is very much a show that should be experienced and it is on YouTube, luckily. And yeah. Spike Lee did a phenomenal job capturing it. Also, it's because the cast album, unfortunately, is not the entire show. They try to just capture the big songs. And they do, but there's transitional stuff that's very important. And it just makes it very choppy. And you and it makes it very hard to follow. And this is a show that has no fucks to give when it comes to continuity of storytelling, of like how what kind of narration they're doing how they're gonna do it like it's all all free-flowing so the cast album doesn't really help with that respect so i would say watch the movie if you can yeah um also just like i there's just certain things that, that they that they mess with that you can only really capture on stage like there's there's they talk about colorism mm-hmm. you know and just in very small you know ways you know just by having the cast be who they are also this is like one of the very first broadway shows that really like challenged how we see uh black expression on stage so you're mm-hmm. seeing um in the show you know you have characters playing church people then they leave that they're playing punk rockers mm-hmm. then they that they go to you know to uh amsterdam and they're playing europeans and some of these europeans are poets or artists or so forth and so on then you go to berlin and they're playing germans you're constantly seeing how you know you're looking at the global consciousness of black people Mm -hmm. changes it's never really been um articulated or presented in such a manner since and it really i think in many ways it helped with the casting of not just with these actors, but how we cast uh, people of color in stories. I mean, if you look at like Rebecca Naomi Jones's career in the year since, I mean, not only has she become like this goddess of rock musicals, because I think she's been every rock musical that you can think of since then. I mean, she was in, uh, we mentioned earlier that she was in American Idiot. She did Hedwig. She did, you know. Uh, she did Murder Ballad too. Yeah. She did Murder Ballad. Yeah. She's just, she, she, and she also, I think she, out of, I think she did Tommy, like a concert. She's done so many different. Probably. probably. She's, she's just had a really become like the new queen of like rock musicals. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you just look at Coleman Domingo's career and like the kind of characters he's been able to play since. Mm-hmm. And so he went from this, you know, he went from Passing Strange to one of my other favorite musicals. Uh, the Scottsboro Boys. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and and he's playing with, uh, you know, black stereotypes uh, and that um, by playing, you know, black face characters. And so what it did, it really kind of opened up how black expression can be seen on stage, mm-hmm. um, on, on the main stage. And so that will be its legacy. Yeah, there's there's a joy and a fun that the cast has in this show that I love because I feel when yeah. it comes to all repressed communities, you know, the queer community, the Jewish community, the black community, like the I feel like the ultimate revolt mm-hmm. is joy mm-hmm. and fun. You try to like bring me down. I'm going to prove you wrong by like living the best kind of life. And so to watch that cast flip through different accents, different characters and play also different ethnicities, which is something that's never actually discussed, but like they're not like, they're not always playing black characters. They exactly. just, and they never address it exactly. either. You kind of test to you just notice do, it. Follow it. Yeah. yeah. Just follow it. And, and through their own detailed work, do, but again, different ethnicities, different accents, different ages, different characters, different places. And it, they, you know, they all get to have their serious moments, of course, but they also get to have so much fun and so much light. And it's such a, release to do that it's it's, i think that's what makes that it's all right keys moment so palpable is the the release they all get to get from that and oh something else i wanted to say about keys uh which is why something that makes that moment so beautiful and powerful storytelling and why it ends up being such a moment of joy on stage is when youth is given the keys from mariana she goes you get to here's like here are my keys and she's just so nonchalantly gives him her keys and something that just and it's an image that Stu focuses on for the rest of like the next six or seven minutes in two different parts. Keys, Mariana, keys, it's all right. And some people might be like, yeah, keys, he's matter for five seconds. Why, why is that important? It's like, no, 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 that's the point. He's a black man who has never met this woman before. And she just inherently trusts him to give him her keys yeah. where he's just come from a country where he, there, there's literally the line, like uh, women lock up their car doors when he would sneeze, but she, yeah. gave, but she gave him her keys. It's something like that. Yeah, like she's like, bitch, please. She gave me her bitch, keys. Bitch, please. He gave me her keys. Yeah, yeah. And the exhale of I can just be and I and I and I can just be trusted and I can walk down and not worry. And it's all and it's all right. I have her key. Like someone who doesn't know me just gave me gave me her keys. And like people who have seen me on the street my whole life will still clutch their purse when I walk by just because I'm listening to my Walkman. And there's a that exhale yeah. is such a moment of independence and joy and revolution, and it makes it so ah, oh, I don't know how to, bubbly, fiery, hot. Well, it's one of my favorite moments. Is also like right around that time, right after that song, um, he is writing uh, to Franklin, the pastor's son, mm-hmm. Europe, and he's saying that. Um, they told him how to wear his body mm-hmm. and even if like it's ugly to wear it like a gown and throughout the entire show even though he's putting on different facades and he's he's changing different ways of who he is he's you know he's wearing himself yeah. you know or wearing an identity you know but he's but he's trying but he's wearing he's trying to he's wearing he's trying to yeah he's wearing he's trying to wear uh those things as beautifully and as comfortably as he can. He's trying to keep that, keep that exhale. Um, also what, what this show does too, and you mentioned it earlier, is that uh, th- there's a lot, there's an openness, there's a vulnerability. And like, these are characters playing queer characters on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, 
which <laughs> in these kind of spaces, usually you don't really get to see that in a musical. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we just had sex is one of the most fun, perkiest number. It's like one of my favorite songs as well in the musical. You know, it's a it's a fun, uh, uh, effervescent, uh, kind of uh, opulent moment in the show. And even, you know, and they're they're talking about how they all, you know, they're talking politics. <laughs> drinking Talk about 10 or 15 different things before anyone brings up the fact that we just had sex. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, but like, and, and, you know, and not only does the youth in the song, you know, say that he's had a threesome with uh, Renata and I forgot who the other. Mariana. Mariana. But he, uh, but he's also had sex with, you know the the the, the men as well yeah. <laughs> and it's just and it's so nonchalantly done you know and- the line is i love that how they're so nonchalant about the only thing i want and yeah the way that they portray that with with the queer uh element of we just had sex it's the joke isn't oh isn't it funny at sex with a man but it's the surprise of it of the of yeah. how he's now starting to just embrace the fluidity of sexuality and it and the way that Daniel breaker plays it is like it takes him by surprise as well when the guy sits next to him he's like, goes we just had sex taylor breaker's face is like i guess i did just do that huh okay <laughs> like <it's... laughs> you know and and, it, and like it was nothing just like yeah. It happened. yeah um marcus this has been delightful lovely I, I, i've had a great time i hope that I sound better <laughs> than I did last time. <laughs> well, last the Carolina Change episode is a chaotic episode because I had to intersperse solo recordings of you. This is just you straight through Hanny. But um, it's I've had a great time. Whether either one of us has made sense to any of my listeners, I don't know. I don't care. We have a new game at the end of this series. And you can play or not if you want. But it's basically Six Degrees. And okay. it's the two titles are Who Lives, Who Dies, Janine Tesori. So you have to do Six Degrees of Janine Tesori with this show. And then the other one is Six Degrees of Sally Murphy. Now, I am more than happy to take over Sally Murphy. I ha- I, there is a, a very quick Janine Tesori Six Degrees here. I could do six. Oh, yeah, 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 we can do a Janine Tesori. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Want to try that? <laughs> sure. Well, so the, the only lim- it, it has to be um, original company members. You can use creative teams as well. Uh, but yeah, so like if you're connecting to shows and actors, you can't be like, well, they replaced in such and such. I did cheat last time with Torch Song Trilogy, but I don't care. There is a one degree from this show with Janine Desori. Oh, well, okay. What, who is it? Okay, now I'm trying to think. All right. It's a perform. I will say it's a performer. It's not Rebecca, right? No. No. Oh, Danny Breaker? Mm-hmm. Oh, he was in Shrek. Yeah. He went right from this to Shrek, baby. <laughs> oh, he was. That's what He replaced Chester Gregory James. That was really quick. Okay. That was really quick. The next one is Sally Murphy. And you follow me on Instagram, so you know that I love her very dearly. I actually haven't thought of this one yet, so let me give, give me a second. Okay. okay. Now I'm trying to think of like, huh. Well, I mean, we could do Daniel Breaker did Shrek with Brian Darcy James, who was in Carousel with Sally Murphy. But I want to do something more fun than that. Let's do Rebecca Nomi Jones. Mm-hmm. We'll do Rebecca Nomi Jones. Rebecca was in significant other with Gideon Glick. Yes. That's one degree. Gideon Glick was in. Oh, you know what? Gideon Glick was in Spring Awakening with Leah Michelle. That's two. Leah Michelle was in Fiddler on the Roof with Sally Murphy. That's three. There we go. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> ah! 
Marcus, what we're learning is that Sally Murphy should be afraid. Very afraid of me. This has been a lovely time. Marcus, yeah. where can people find you if you want them to find you? Real Marcus Scott on uh, IG or Instagram, as they call it, or Real Marcus Scott on Twitter. Um, you can also uh, check me out. I am doing a couple of things with Gingle Theatrics as a playwright. I have a play called There Goes the Neighborhood. It's a horror slasher. And I have a uh, play that I'm developing called uh, Joy Comes in the Morning with the Road Theater in um, L.A. Amazing stuff. If you want to follow me on social, I'm only on Instagram at Matt Coppock, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, give us a nice five-star rating. You can even write us a review. I swear, I hope the sound is getting better. I'm trying my best. So if you give us a five-star review, hopefully uh, you don't have to talk about how the sound sucks. We all, I apologize profusely about the low volume on rent. I did, I did ask a couple of listeners. I'm like, is it that bad? It's like, no, it's not that bad. It's just like, it's low and you get used to it. And then that ad comes in and you're like, Jesus Christ. So hopefully now that everyone knows if you intel if you tell people about the podcast just tell them the rent episode is good it's just the volume is off but otherwise we're we're doing our damnedest uh join us next week for who knows what because we're doing this whole thing out of out of order as you know marcus we do close out every week with a broadway diva and you know who we have not closed out with yet is miss rock musical god herself rebecca nomi jones so i say we close out with her let's let's sign up on it yeah <laughs> so Marcus, this has been lovely. Everyone, th- catch us next week. And yeah, that's it. Uh, have a great week, everybody. And take us away, Rebecca. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.